we're back. We are so sorry. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. But you're listening to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. My name is Mallory. My name is Ashley. Coming back at you today with a fresh new story. It's been weeks in the making. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. It happens to all of us. Yeah. It's been a crazy few weeks. Yeah. Well, we both traveled. So yep. we were like, okay, no episode this week. And then a lot of other stuff happened. Yeah, a lot of personal things and yeah yeah I mean I don't even know where to begin with what's new I think I've fallen down twice and hurt myself since we've last been with you guys um (laughs) I sprained my finger the other day I'm now wearing a stupid brick or like splint on my finger we've both developed rashes we both got eye on around our eyes too yeah for some reason (sighs) What else? We've had a lot of terrible things going on in the world, which has been, I can't even watch. Oh, very terrible things. Yeah. Oh my God. I just can't even watch when that stuff comes on. No, it's it's awful. Referring to, and it's so heated, like everybody's so sensitive about everything because it's awful, first of all, and yeah. then there's like, well, I don't know, I'm assuming you're talking about. Yeah. Israel and Palestine. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just people killing people. Yeah. And, and that sucks. Yeah. All the way around. So that's been really heavy. Yeah. But aside from that, didn't you do something really fun last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I moved out of my comfort zone last night. I went to... A death metal concert. <laughs> <laughs> when she told me that's what she was doing last night, I was like, excuse me? Yeah. I went with my brother. I bought his ticket kind of like as a late birthday present. I got him something, an on-time gift too, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> we went last night and saw Cannibal Corpse and Mayhem, which I had only heard of Cannibal Corpse just because, I don't know. It's I, just a wild name. Yeah. I, I had, well... I had heard of Mayhem. I just didn't realize I had heard of Mayhem because of, what the fuck's his name? Varg Vikernis? I don't know if I'm saying it right. He used to be a member of Mayhem, killed a bandmate, and went to jail for a very long time. I think he also burned down some churches and crap like that. Wow. Yeah. But I think I saw, like, a TV show on him, like, I mean, probably like 15 years ago or something like that. And so, like, I've known about this guy and I've, like, read his whole entire Wikipedia page and all this stuff. And I had no clue that I was seeing the band that he was in last night until I was like, hey, um, do you know about this guy? Because it just reminded me because we were at a death metal concert talking to my brother. And I Googled him and I was like, wait, this this they're playing right now. (laughs) So what band is it? Mayhem. Oh, sorry. You said that. Yeah. So it was crazy. And oh, did I show you the mosh pit? No. I told you about it, but I took a video. It's so weird. So when Ashley and I would go to shows back in our day, Mm -hmm. a mosh pit, people just push each other around. Yeah. That's pretty much it, right? Like, yep. I mean, I got punched in the mouth once. Oh my God. I don't remember that. I don't know if I was was at Warp Tour. 
Oh, okay. That was definitely, I was not there. But um, let me see. Okay, here. <laughs> this is what they do nowadays, I guess. Or maybe it's a death metal thing. I don't know. Hmm. But you're just running in a circle. Yeah, they push a little bit, but most of the time they're just doing a whirlpool in the audience. It's so crazy. <laughs> they're literally just, it's like in an above ground pool. When you want to like yeah. make a whirlpool, you just run around in a circle in the pool. That's exactly what it reminded well, me of. Well, it's not like you can really dance to that music. So maybe that's their exactly. form of dancing. I know. Huh. I know. Brent, <laughs> Brent was like, he said something like, or was there a lot of dancing and all this kind of stuff? And I was like. There was no dancing. There was absolutely <laughs> zero dancing. There is run around in a circle in a mosh pit or headbang, and that is it. What if you went down there and you just were, like, dancing? <laughs> grooving? That would be so funny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Pulled out my nasty ghetto dance moves or something like that. Uh, it was so funny. Yeah, it was... I am not going to lie to you. I, I told you this already, but... Newsflash to the world. I had an amazing time last night. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was just like a new experience. I yeah, a different I've never listened to a death metal song in its entirety in my entire life, mm -hmm. ever. But yeah, it is. It's like a different culture. Yeah. It was like, this is so different from every other concert I've ever been to. And you got to experience like different types of people, I'm sure, like in line for <laughs> drinks. Like, what were they like? <laughs> well, okay. So this is this is all the people that were there. It was mainly straight-haired, brown-haired dudes that have their hair super fucking long. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. So brown-haired, brown, long-haired, brown-haired guys, or like blonde guys that have kind of like a neo-Nazi haircut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there are a few girls. Most of them are like kind of gothed out, though. Yeah. But there were, it was heavily male populated. Yeah, I'm heavily. Sure. So, yeah, it was wow. crazy. It was fun. The lead singer of Cannibal Corpse, if you want to call him a singer, because <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's it. He apparently goes by the name Corpse Grinder. Ew. Isn't that really cool? Yeah. It's an old band. I guess they've been around for a long time. Oh, yeah, I've heard about them. He, has been headbanging so long, his neck, I will show you, I took a picture, <laughs> is so big. Oh my I'm not kidding you. It's crazy. You should tell Charlie, maybe we should do that at our workout class. Oh that's my a, God. That's all I could get. Like, uh, I, he was headbanging at the time. His shirt neck. says, respect the neck. Um. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, they remind me of like sheep. I don't know. Oh, this guy reminds me of a sheep. His hair is so fluffy. I took, because his hair is like, I just took a video just because of his hair. It's so fluffy. Yeah. But even how they were running in a circle, they're like, <laughs> almost like they're being herded yeah. around. And there's also this move they would do in the mosh pit where they just hold on to each other's shoulders and headbang. Oh, it's like they're rowing. Yeah. It looks like they're rowing. Are they sitting? Um, I don't know. Wait, look. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. They do look like they're sitting. I think they're sitting. I didn't even realize that. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like an experience. That's why I had fun, man. It was just, I was just like, what is going on now? What is going on now? Isn't what that venue nice, though? The oh, Eastern? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it, too. It's super nice. 
I never go down to the floor. I've been there like three or four times now, I think. And, no, three times. I just stand at the balcony every yeah. time like an old person. <laughs> yep. I was just thinking as I was driving over here, like since, you know, the seasons have changed, it's dark when I'm coming over here now. And I was just yeah. thinking like, I hate driving in the dark. It's terrible on that road too, because it's so There's dark. There's no light. Yeah. You have to pretty much turn your brights on. Anyway. Well, <sighs> that sounded like a blast. Yeah. It was fun. I'm trying to think of what else is newsworthy, but. Oh, I've been perpetually sore for like two weeks now. Yeah, Mallory and I have been getting fit and buff. <laughs> yeah, we're getting swole. And my body hurts a yeah. lot. Yeah, we're on a fitness journey. It's going pretty well so far. Yeah, I would say it's been overall successful. You just need to stop falling down and we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, it's a little bit concerning. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I guess to kick things off, I'd like to give a big shout out to several of our listeners slash friends who have donated to our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thank you to Denise, Ryan, Marielle, and Maude for your contributions. That was so kind. Yeah, and thank um, you guys so much. We'll make sure to put it to good use and hopefully not make you wait several weeks. For a new I know we're like you guys by the way you can donate money to us and then we're like, and they're Bye. like see ya thanks for the money <laughs> see ya later <laughs> and oh that's gonna be become busier than it already is like I have to talk to you about that we're gonna have to get creative with our schedule I think oh okay um I have some work travel and some personal travel yeah we'll figure it out yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be great. I'm really looking forward to it. We're just gonna have to plan ahead a bit. But anyway, thank you guys so much. That just brightens our day. Do you want to just go ahead and get on into this I'm thing? Ready? All right. I want to know what this is. Yes. So the drink of the night is called a Hugo Spritz, and the reason I picked this drink was because it popped up on my TikTok, and it was kind of going viral. And this story has a TikTok element, so. Kind of, that was the connection there. But a Hugo Spritz is half ounce St. Germain, one sprig mint, four ounces Prosecco, one ounce soda water, and a lemon wheel. (laughs) (laughs) A lemon wheel. (laughs) And, you know, it's fine. (laughs) It's It's pretty good. I mean, we added a little more St. Germain. Yeah. I don't mind it. Cool. It's nice and refreshing. Nice. Okay, here we go. So I found out about this topic when I was on vacation a few weeks ago. I found a YouTube video that popped up from a YouTuber that I like a lot. She's called Not the Good Girl, and she often posts like full on deep dives on like interesting, weird topics. So this is the first time I've ever heard of this, and it's pretty crazy. So tonight, We're going to be talking about 7M. What the fuck is that? Have you ever heard of 7M? No, I've heard of 3M. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, what is this? I'm so excited. So what is 7M? Is it A, a TikTok dance cult? B, a Christian movement to take over the world and usher in the apocalypse? 
or C, all of the above? Oh my God, I think it might be C. <laughs> You'd be correct, allegedly. Oh my God. Okay. Ooh. So I'd like to preface this story by giving a disclaimer. All of the information I'm about to share was learned from several mainstream news sources, straight from the individuals involved, and through educating myself on the topics I explored. I will be saying allegedly a lot due to the nature of this story, so if you'd like, you can drink every time you hear it, or <laughs> don't if you want to live. <laughs> oh my god. So I should not play this drinking game properly. <laughs> yeah, not after, um, what was it, the oh Taylor... Christ. Taylor Parker episode where I had to wrap it up. Yeah, that mm-hmm, that was not my finest moment. I've been there before. <laughs> this story might be somewhat of a touchy subject as it involves religion and politics. So we all just need to take our chill pills and accept that we're all entitled to our own thoughts and opinions here. Just keep that in mind. Do not come for us. And because we've been accused of being on an anti-Christian crusade before, please know that this is not the case. We will be speaking about groups that misuse religion for their own gain. That Mm. is the end of my disclaimer. Okay. Very good. Our story begins with two sisters, Melanie and Miranda Wilking. Melanie and Miranda are social media influencers from Michigan who are best known for their dance videos. Their passion for dance began when they were very young. In fact, When Miranda was nine and Melanie was seven, they started a camp in their backyard where they taught young girls how to dance. The dance camp grew year after year and eventually was featured in their local newspapers. The two went on to grow their social media following on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube under the handle Wilking Sisters. Melanie and Miranda were wildly successful, working with the likes of Nike, Adidas, and CoverGirl. They'd even performed live with stars such as Bruno Mars and Joe Jonas. If you're on TikTok, you're probably aware of the viral dance videos that saturate the app. But I'm going to show Mallory an example because I know she simply can't get enough of content like this. <laughs> so, Also, Ashley is aware that I just don't open TikTok for months at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I have to start texting them to her. Yeah, she is- <laughs> to texting me tiktok videos you're gonna open you're gonna open tiktok and be like i can't watch these i just can't i think last time i had like over 70 videos that you sent me that i had to catch up on i watched them all but oh my god it's and but that's the problem is when i open tiktok i can't close it yeah so then when i put it away then i just put it away yeah like it will it's hard i will lose my life to it i know i feel yeah (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to just show you a few of their TikTok videos. So what do you think about those? It just looks like typical dance videos on TikTok. Yep. Okay. I mean, they have some choreography. It's a little, you know. Yeah, they're, they're talented. Yeah, they're, they're talented. Yeah. I did go down the rabbit hole of watching a lot of their TikToks and did kind of like start to love them a little bit because... It's not all dance videos. Some of them, they're really, like, really funny. But yeah, they post viral TikTok dances and do their own choreography. So anyway, when Miranda, the older of the two, graduated from high school, she followed her dreams and moved out to Los Angeles, California to pursue more dance and acting opportunities. 
The time apart was tough for the sisters, and after a year, Melanie joined her sister in L.A. while she continued her schooling online. The sisters continued working together, booking project after project. Everything was going well for them. In fact, the only thing they found difficult was being away from their family back in Michigan. Miranda and Melanie were extremely close with their parents, and often included them in their TikToks. To ease the homesickness, the sisters visited their family often. It was the type of relationship where they spoke on the phone almost every single day. Everything changed in March of 2020 when COVID-19 took the world by storm. Both Melanie and Miranda found themselves quarantining back home in Michigan with their parents. During this time, they would post multiple videos a day from their living room. Their audience began to see more and more of their personalities as they documented their lives, shared their silly antics, gave dating advice, and tips on how to cure boredom while stuck at home during the pandemic. Their followers fell in love with them. Not only were they multi-talented, but they were funny, kind, and optimistic. While both sisters were well-loved, there was something about Miranda. She had a star quality about her. So it did not go unnoticed when she suddenly stopped appearing in their dance videos. Ooh. The content kept coming, but Miranda was notably absent. People were growing concerned, and each video Melanie posted was flooded with comments asking about her sister. Initially, Melanie assured their followers that Miranda was just sick and would be back soon. But weeks would go by and still no Miranda. Melanie stopped responding to the questions about her sister and continued posting her own content as if nothing was wrong. What? Then finally, a month later, Melanie posted a video addressing a new direction with the Wilking Sisters account. So I'm going to play that video for you. Okay. Hey everyone! So many of you have noticed that Miranda and I have not been in videos together lately, and I've been getting a lot of messages asking where she's at, what's going on, all of that. So I'm here to let you know that Miranda has chosen to pursue some other opportunities at this time and just take a little break from the Wilking Sisters brand. I will still be here making videos. My goal is to always put a smile on your face. And you know, sometimes you just need a little change. And Miranda's still my best friend. I love her so much. I will always support her. And I just hope that I can have all of your support on this new journey. Love you guys. Mwah. Bye. She's very puppy. Yeah. She's, they're typically not like that. So it was. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, weird. I mean, I guess they had some videos where they were like, hey guys, it's us. And like that kind of thing. But that yeah. was a little over the top. Were the comments all like, what's going on? They were like, thanks for letting us know. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. So that was that, the end of the Wilking Sisters. Melanie took over the account, which had amassed over 3 million followers, and changed the name to Melanie Wilking. Meanwhile, Miranda had started her own separate TikTok with a somewhat different vibe kind of like more serious or edgy. Her videos featured a new dance partner, a man by the name of James Derrick, a.k.a. B-Dash. B-Dash and Miranda had met just prior to the pandemic. According to Miranda, she met B-Dash when he slid into her DMs and asked her to collaborate, and that's when they started dating. He'd actually stayed with the Wilkings family at their house for seven weeks during quarantine and appeared in a few of the sisters' videos. Anyway... Miranda's new account started shortly after her and B-Dash had signed with a new production company called 7M Films. According to their Bare Bones website, 7M Films is a Los Angeles-based talent management company representing some of the top social media influencers in the world. Since 7M was founded in 2021, the collective social media following of our clients has grown from 1.78 million to 10.42 million. 
7M's client roster includes professional dancers, actors, models, and music industry professionals. So that's their website here. And there's really not anything on it except no. this. There, It's like just half of what you just said. And then a, a about link and a contact link. And that's it. And the rest of what I just read was on, under the about link. Oh, my God. So there's like nothing on it. Wow. Soon after leaving Melanie and joining 7M, Miranda drastically changed her appearance. I was going to say, in that picture you just showed me, she looks way different. Well, that's not even her drastically changing her Oh, that's not appearance. even... Dra- oh, really? She drastically changed in that her content just seemed more serious. Yeah. And she looked more serious. But she underwent a dramatic makeover. Whoa. She chopped off her long, dark hair and started rocking a short, blonde bob. Her videos also changed drastically. She went from dancing in her living room with her sister to a much glossier, professional look and feel. Her and B-Dash's dance styles also evolved. While they still had some hip-hop dance routines, a more traditional-slash-musical theater style started emerging. So from the outside looking in, it appeared that the Wilkings sisters had just decided to pursue their different goals. After all, they were two totally different people. For example, as I was scrolling through their TikTok, I learned that Miranda loves pink and Melanie loves purple. (laughs) (laughs) That is, wow, what a personality trait. (laughs) And I'm not saying that to be mean. They are. (laughs) um, They do look a lot alike. Yeah, they do. I think they were trying to do that on purpose as part of their brand. Anyway, it just kind of seemed like to everyone else that they were just going their separate ways. But a year after the sisters had split, Melanie and her parents would go live on Instagram with a shocking update. What? So in this 40-minute video, they talk about how they just lost contact with Miranda, and it had been that way for over a year. Every attempt at communication had resulted in silence or them being blocked. Melanie shared how it all started. In the beginning of 2021... Melanie, Miranda, and B-Dash were invited to attend an exclusive church. And when I say exclusive, I mean you could only attend by invite only. What? Which kind of seems like not church-like at all. (laughs) Anti-Christian. Initially, Melanie really enjoyed it. The sisters didn't grow up religious, so it felt very new and exciting. But she quickly saw red flags. The church was very controlling and demanded a lot of time. For example, Melanie was reprimanded when she couldn't attend one of the services because she had to pick up her boyfriend from the airport. It was then that she decided that this was not something she wanted to be a part of. But Miranda and B-Dash were all about it. She could see the church take more and more of her sister's time, and she started to become more and more distant. Shortly after, Melanie and Miranda's grandfather passed away. The two were very close with him, and it was a tragic loss for the Wilkings family. But when it came time to fly home to Michigan for the funeral, Miranda canceled her flight 30 minutes before the plane was due to take off. She told her family that she'd just come down with COVID. But she and Melanie had just recovered from COVID a month prior, so it was obviously a lie. Mm -hmm. She later confessed that she wasn't actually sick, but made an excuse that... Her family just would not understand. So this set off alarm bells because family was everything to Miranda. And prior to this, she would talk to her grandfather almost every day. So Miranda's parents were rightly concerned. 
She'd become involved with a new group of people, had joined a new church, and her behavior had drastically changed. So they flew out to L.A. to check on their daughter and to attempt to get her to come home for the funeral. When they arrived at her and Melanie's apartment, they were met with a cold and defensive Miranda. Her parents, Kelly and Dean, confronted her about her decisions, and before they knew it, Miranda stormed out of the apartment. So she was still living with Melanie at the time? Yes. Okay. But when she left, Kelly and Dean discovered that all of her belongings were gone. Oh. So she had moved out at that point. According to the Wilkings, that was the last time they saw Miranda. Oh my God. What the fuck? I know. I just can't even imagine, like, during a time like that when you lose a relative that you're so close with. Like, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Melanie and her parents said that Miranda completely cut them out of her life. She bought her own car and moved to an unknown location with her boyfriend. She blocked her family from her social media and completely ghosted all of her friends, her work engagements, everything. Then the Wilkings learned, along with the rest of the world, that Miranda had gotten married. Her name on social media changed from Wilkings to Derek and she seemingly had a new identity altogether. Melanie and her parents were so concerned for Miranda that they contacted the police out of complete desperation. But Miranda was an adult, and she had made these decisions of her own free will. There was really nothing anyone could do. So I want to play you just a few pieces of the video so you get more of an idea. I'm not allowed to contact her, and it's, it's really sad because... We're blocked on absolutely everything. So whenever we try to say anything, like I even just commented on a, a video today, instantly blocked. So it's just been really hard to deal with. And we really don't know why. Well, we never, so right. we never really addressed that. So I guess we're addressing it. Yeah. it. Miranda is a part of a religious group and She's not allowed to speak to us. They tried to get me involved. I did go. I did like it at first. And then I realized there were numerous red flags that I could not ignore and knew that it was not something I wanted to be involved in. And then as soon as I was telling Miranda, you know, these concerns that I had, she would just, you know, oh, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And if you guys know, we we never fought. Miranda and I were very strange. We were attached at the hip. We didn't fight about anything. And then towards the end, as soon as I decided to leave this organization and Miranda decided to stay, we is, were fighting constantly about this because I was like, Miranda, they're taking you. They're gonna they're gonna try to separate us. They're gonna blah blah blah. Every single thing I said was gonna happen, and my parents said was gonna happen, happened. And the thing is that B Dash was involved. And he also, we believe, is a victim of this. Yes, They've exactly. both been lured in, and now they think that's the only way is that the way they live. And that's the thing. That's the thing that we've realized is Miranda, James, all these people that they're with, they're not in control of their lives. Someone else is controlling their lives, and they're all victims of this. And it's, it's so, it would be so easy to just, like, forget about, oh, screw her, you know? Like, she, she doesn't care about us anymore, but we know... That's not her. She, she would never, never ever block Grammy. Okay, so what did you think about that? Like, what do you think about this whole situation? It's like giving Nexium vibes for some reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's churchy, so it's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, her family 
was very like upset during the entire video. Like it was they're yeah, they're kind of in shambles. Like, oh my god. And it it's gotta be devastating for Melanie because like she said, they were attached to the hip, never fought. They were like each other's best mm-hmm. friends. And then all of a sudden your lifetime best friend ghosts you. Yeah. Doesn't speak to you ever again. Oh my God. It's horrible. They weren't just like sisters and best friends, but they were also like, they worked together. They had a business together. Yeah. Like their social media was their business and sh- they had engagements. Like they had brands that they worked for and yeah. she completely just left. Oh she God. left Melanie to like figure it all out. And according to Melanie. And so when she posted that video of her saying like, Oh, Miranda's just doing something else, taking a break for a while. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe she was like overshooting the positivity because she was like so devastated. Well, she explains in the video that she at that point thought like, Oh, she's going to come back. Like she'll be back. Yeah. In fact, she was posting videos of her and Miranda, like old videos just to keep her still on the page. Yeah. Thinking like, oh, maybe she's just going through something or wants to try something and she'll come back. But she didn't. Oh, my God. It's really sad. So Miranda did see this video and she did respond to the live in her own video for her followers. Oh, where really? she sets the record straight from her side of the story. Oh. So I'd like to also play that because it is important to hear her side of the story as well because... This is all alleged. Like, we can't say one way or the other who's telling the truth because we are not there. We do not know. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to make that clear. Hey, you guys. I just wanted to hop on really quick and address the date, January 21st. It just keeps popping up. I know my mom has been stuck on January 21st. And a lot of you have been saying that I cut off all communication completely with my family. I just want to say that that is a complete lie. Has there been less communication? Yes, because we are going through a lot. Um, But to say that I cut off complete communication is a lie. So last year, I met my mom in person with James on July 1st, 2021. Her and I met just just her and I, um, August 3rd, 2021. Melanie and I met in person in West Hollywood. We had a Christmas show and Melanie came to the Christmas show. So we saw each other in person then. Um, I FaceTimed Mel a couple weeks ago asking to meet up in person, just her and I and James. James and I just flew to Michigan um, and talked to them March 9th. And also, my family is coming to L.A. on April 1st, and I would love to get together with them then. So, yes, there's a lot that my family and I need to work through, but I'm excited to just move past all of this. I just want to address that saying that we haven't communicated within the past year is a lie. We have communicated. Guys, I just wanted to hop back on here and chat with you again. I guess these chats are becoming a thing. (laughs) But I just wanted to address something that I've heard from some of you and just I've been hearing on social media in general, um, and that is that I've changed a lot. Honestly, I hope that I have changed, and I really hope I continue to change and grow throughout my life and my career. Um, But yeah, I went from a sister duo act to now a solo brand. I had long hair and now I have short hair. I got married. I moved in with my husband. So yeah, that's my life. And 
I've definitely changed. <laughs> so there you go. I I mean, if she's lying, she's doing a good job of making it seem believable. Because mm-hmm. she's like pulling up these dates and saying, hey, we got together, we talked to then, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I really don't know what to believe right now. I didn't either. Yeah. Obviously, there are two sides to every story. And I for sure didn't want to just give one side. So... Let's talk about the definite possibility that Miranda cut ties with her family due to a toxic situation. Because that happens a lot. Yeah. People go no contact with their family all the time. Mm-hmm. And that could very well be the case. Mm-hmm. Question. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about the church besides what you've said so far? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, okay. Okay. As long as you're going to tell me. Yeah, I won't tell I won't, you. I won't Don't you anymore. worry. <laughs> yes, you're going to hear about it. Nice. Um. Miranda followed up her video response with some Instagram stories where she provided more detail into her side of the story. So I'm just going to pull those up and read those to you. They're very long, so I might just skip around a little bit. Hey, everyone. First of all, I wanted to address that I have communicated to my parents in the past year multiple times. A year ago, I decided to move out of living with Melanie. Even after all of that, I was still willing to work with Melanie on our TikTok account and made things work on terms we both wanted. I wanted to start a new life with James, a.k.a. B-Dash, but I also wanted to continue working together with Melanie. Then I was kicked out of the 3.1 million follower TikTok account that I originally started and had Melanie join. I asked if I could have access to it so that we could continue our TikTok account together, and she refused to grant me access. After constant back and forth over this topic, I finally let Melanie have full access over that account, so it forced me to start all over. To everyone who has reached out asking if I'm okay and involved in a religious cult, thank you so much for your concern, but I am not involved in a religious cult. And regarding the statement saying that none of us are speaking to our families, I can say that everyone in my management group speaks and communicates with their families. It is just my unique situation where I am not speaking to my family as often as I used to because they were not supportive of the decisions I made. There was a disagreement in my family where they didn't respect a decision that I made to move in with James and start our life together. Due to that disagreement, I haven't talked to my family as much as I used to, but I have communicated with them within the past year multiple times. I can speak for James and our friends who are in 7M that they do speak to their families, so what you guys have heard about 7M dancers not speaking to their families is a complete lie. It is just a unique situation with my family where I don't speak to them as often as before because who would want to speak with people who completely disagree with you and who don't respect you? At the end of the day, James and I are grown adults who are excited to be married and live with one another, and when people are not on board with your decision, I guess they just believe what they believe, and we agree to disagree, and things take time to heal. When I left, they decided to call the cops on James, saying that my black boyfriend James kidnapped and abused me. The police officers ended up going to where James lived. They tried calling James, but he was on set for a job and actually couldn't answer his phone. They then got a hold of me and wanted to meet me in person to make sure that I was not kidnapped or hurt in any way. I ended up meeting up with the police officers and they saw that I was fine and we actually laughed about the situation because they said, wow, it seems that your family was really upset that you moved out. And I just said, hey, it was a disagreement that we had and that's it. And everything was fine and the police left. I didn't want to go to my papa's funeral because I was afraid that I would be held captive in Michigan. I didn't feel safe with my dad. I went back for my things at my old apartment by myself. 
It was my mom, dad, and I at the apartment. We talked, and they tried to get me to stay and not go live with James, and I had already made my decision. My decision was final. And then it got to a point where the conversation was just going in circles, so I wanted to get out of there. I got in my car, and I was ready to back up and leave, and they actually physically held me back and harassed me. My dad opened up the trunk of my car and grabbed my purse so that I wouldn't have my license to drive. I had to forcefully grab my purse back and try to shut the trunk of my car. I then got back in the driver's seat and my dad took his car and blocked me in my own driveway. And my mom was holding my arm, speaking out to me and reading what occult meant and said that I was a part of one. I didn't want to speak about these things because honestly, it's embarrassing, but I am forced to talk about family issues publicly by my own family. God. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, she's sounding more reasonable, but I don't know anything about this church. Yeah. And but it does sound like what her family was doing, if it was true, is very extreme. I know. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally. Like. I could totally see something like that happening. Yeah. If you're at a yep. close knit family and they have strong opinions about what you're doing with your life mm-hmm. and you want to like move on and start your own thing. And like, I could totally see this situation being a reason to cut your family off. Yeah. So yeah, who, who knows in this in this context, like what's happening? Right. I don't know what to think. I need more information. We will probably never know the full story of what happened with the Wilkings family, but I'll tell you what we do know. Let's start with talking about the Shekinah Church and its founder and lead pastor, Robert Shen. Shekinah? Shekinah. There's not a whole lot of information out there about Robert Shen's origin story, but I did learn that he grew up in Canada, was valedictorian of his high school class, and graduated from the University of Toronto, where he studied medicine. He went on to work as a doctor for seven years, when suddenly he received a message from God telling him that he should go into ministry with a particular focus on the entertainment industry. So in 1992, he moved to Southern California, where he founded the Shekinah Church, which initially was located in an office in Santa Fe Springs, which I just have to say... My job had a plant in Santa Fe Springs, and I feel like I have seen this Really? Building. It looks like a car dealership. It's like a strip mall. Oh, that's okay. like an office building. But it's literally three minutes away from this plant where really? I used to go like, oh my God. for work sometimes. Anyway, shout out to Marielle. <laughs> <laughs> so... It was initially located in an office building in Santa Fe Springs, but by the year 2000, the church relocated to a white spiral building in Norwalk, California. This building looks crazy, y'all. It does. You can tell that he's in it here. You can see the windows. Oh, yeah. They're like little jail cell windows. It's an interesting architecture. It's like literally a tube. I can't even really tell. Is it an oval or Mm -hmm. is it a circle? Some kind of like circular. Weird. Building. Shin believed he had a direct connection to God, which seems to be a consistent quality in cult leaders. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yup. So he became a pastor and he adopted the name Israel Shin, though he is still referenced as Robert today. His congregants would refer to him by many other titles, including prophet, doc, and the most common of them all was man of God. 
Shin describes the church as a small, tight-knit group of Christian believers committed to spreading their religious message through peaceful religious study and outreach. But former members allege that Shekinah Church is deeply rooted in a Christian movement called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Seven M. Have you ever heard of this? No, I've never heard of this. I had never heard of it either. And it sent me down the most extreme (laughs) rabbit hole of all. I wish I have goosebumps that everyone could see your face because (laughs) you just give me the most intense look. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Often stylized as 7M, the Seven Mountain Mandate is a dominionist conservative Christian movement within Pentecostal and evangelical Christianity. The movement was created in 1975 by three evangelicals, Lauren Cunningham, who was a prominent missionary, Bill Bright, who was an evangelical leader who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh, wow. What? And Francis Schaefer, who was an evangelical theologian, philosopher, and pastor. These three men claim they were bestowed with a message from God ordering them to invade the seven spheres of society, which are identified as family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. The biblical base for the movement is derived from Revelation 17, 1 through 18. Verse 9 reads, quote, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, end quote. They believe that their mission to take over the world is justified by Isaiah 2.2, quote, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, end quote. Followers believe that by fulfilling the seven mountain mandate, they can bring about the end times. Oh, they can trigger it? Mm-hmm. What? Super fun. But the Seven Mountain Mandate wouldn't take off until much later. The concept became a hot topic in 2013 with the release of the book Invading Babylon, The Seven Mountain Mandate. The book was written by Lance Wolnow and Bill Johnson. I had no idea who these guys were until I dug into this. I can't really figure out what Lance Wolnow does, and I don't even know if I'm saying his last name right, but it seems like he is an evangelical personality of sorts. He has a podcast and a YouTube channel where he preaches and prophesizes. He talks about politics and the end times. And he has a very forceful and adamant way of like preaching. And he talks incessantly about world domination. Oh my God. Lance Wall now called for seven mountain mandate believers who are producers, directors, attorneys, politicians, and economists to fight our real enemies who are the ones that are shaping laws, shaping media, and shaping the next generation. Quote, we should be moving to the top of these mountains. I'm working with believers that I call ninja sheep. Those are believers that are actual believers that have to maintain discretion with their public profile. So basically what he's saying... It's all famous people. The people who are ruling the world in all seven aspects of... And all seven spheres of influence are not believers. And that's what's causing us, you know. Yeah. We need, he's basically saying he's infiltrating these seven spheres of influence with believers who have to remain discreet, remain discreet to take over the world. This is weird as hell. 
I could not believe this. This is so weird. Yeah. This is like Illuminati level, like fuck. Weird. Yes. I have goosebumps Dude. nonstop because it freaks me out. Yeah. What the hell? And then Bill Johnson is the senior leader. So Bill Johnson is the other guy who wrote this book. He is a senior leader of a mega church called Mount Bethel in Redding, California. And this guy is obsessed with homosexuality. Oh, good. it seems to be one of his favorite topics to talk about. Well, you know what? He might be then. <laughs> There's no shame in that. Yeah. So by that, I'm just saying he is super against same sex relationships. And he is also a big fan of conversion therapy. Oh, my God. So he also wrote this book called Invading Babylon. Oh, my God. Just <laughs> I've been watching. I don't know if you ever. I know you've watched RuPaul's Drag Race before, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, Trixie, mm-hmm. Mattel and Katya, they have like a little podcast or like. a. have never show. listened to it. Oh, my God. It's so funny. They, I was just watching an episode earlier today and they were like, or Trixie was like, I'm going to start a conversion therapy, whatever. And all their parents will drop off their kids and everything. And then, <laughs> and then once the parents leave, the disco ball will come down and they'll <laughs> like, <laughs> walk the runway. Like just, you yes. know, yeah, that's that so I, funny. I'm totally butchering that. But anyway, no, I understand what you're saying. And that is hilarious. And I know He's just a comedian, but you know, people actually are probably listening to that and mm-hmm. thinking that's what they're doing. I know. You know? Yeah. That's so ridiculous. Well, yeah, because drag queens are groomers now. Yeah. Apparently. What the fuck? Anyway, I got their book, Invading Babylon, on Audible. And you did? Listening to it was wild. Oh my God. Uh... I'm honestly really, really scared about like what Google, Audible, everything thinks about me now. Like, I'm afraid of the kind of things I'm going to be fed now, you know? Like, what? I know. I always do that. I'm like, hmm, I should, like, get this. I don't know. I don't have an example, but. Go on incognito mode and. Yeah. Like, or make an account on this thing just to see, like, what it is or, like, something like that. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get fed ads for, like, horrible things. (laughs) For pure flicks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which, now that I'm thinking about it, I bet pure flicks is part of this. Probably thing, like the whole media part. Oh my god, yeah. They're trying to make it happen. Oh my god. And like in the book, they talk about the Passion of the Christ, how that movie was like a big milestone in their mission. Like no, because it, it wasn't. was like in theaters and everyone loved that movie. Yeah, well, think about it. Like how that many was people crazy. are talking about it today. Zero. So <laughs> so <laughs> I remember going to the theater with my youth group because I was still in church at the time when I was in high school. And I was sitting in the theater and everybody around me was crying. I was sitting there like, I think I cried in that movie too because I was like, no, I I felt nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Damon. (laughs) I know. "Um." I think we've talked about this before, but like, I feel like Christianity was such a big trend during that time. Uh Or maybe it's just that I'm remembering things I've grown since then, or I don't know. But like, if you think about it, we had our WWJD bracelets. Yes. We had Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. We had the Left Behind series. Oh, yeah. We had Passion of the Christ. Like, all of this stuff happened at the exact same time. What the fuck? Like, that doesn't happen anymore, right? No. Or am I just such in a different Mm -mm. bubble that I don't see that? Well, that's true. 
Because I was in a different bubble then too. Yeah. And I went to a Christian school. So. I mean, I wasn't in the same bubble you were. I wasn't at a Christian school at that time. I wasn't, my parents weren't religious. Like, yeah. But it was still like. You probably gauge it better than I can, but. I don't know. It's yeah. just weird, right? It is weird. I also listened to this podcast. I'm going on tangents here, but it's called Data Over Dogma. And it's a atheist and a guy that has a doctorate in whatever Bible crap. <laughs> like theology yeah or... yeah yeah but he's very like he's a popular tiktoker too he's very literal about everything so he's not as like freaking brainwashed as everybody in the world but anyway they were talking to this other atheist dude who was talking about how it, it was an episode on revelation i think and they were talking about how because i remember being told this that Christians are going to be persecuted. Like, you'll know it's the end times when Christians are being persecuted all the time and all this stuff. And he was like, Christians always talk about how they're persecuted, but they are, they make the laws. They, yeah. they are in, ev- like, they're not persecuted. Are you kidding me? I like- was just <laughs> watching Donald Trump give a speech where he's, t- he's at Liberty University and he's talking about, oh, that's a good I am too. going to protect Christianity, like, who is af- going after it? No one. No one. Everyone wants to respect everyone else's religious beliefs because that's what America is built off of. The only people attacking other religions are the Christians. <laughs> Honestly, in this whole Seven Mountain Mandate, most Christians are completely against because it goes completely against the very concept of Christianity, yeah. which is, I mean, the whole thing is about, what is it called? They're all about like, gathering wealth and gathering power yeah yeah like it's all about that that's what this is all about and that's not what christianity is about no it's not so i was also watching videos of people talking about the seven mountain mandate and how it is just the worst thing so there are christians most i would say out there that think this is absolutely crazy yeah yeah just so everyone's aware like we don't think this is a christian problem this is a Something else problem. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I read this book and... I can't believe um, you read this book. Twi- almost twice. Just listening to it. Basically, it's a call to action for all Christians to invade the seven spheres of influence and covertly take over the world so that they could usher in Armageddon. No lie, guys. That is weird. It's weird as hell. And they're serious. They think they have this power. I will get into this more later because it's actually crazy. And I really want to know. Honestly, it is actively affecting our society, and I had no idea. Oh, so what? I will get to that later. But we're going to get back to Robert Shin in Shekinah Church. I'm, like, getting red. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so passionate. <laughs> I found an incredible article on Business Insider that I will be referencing quite a bit actually had to pay to get behind a paywall on that one, but it was worth it. A lot of this information comes from former church members that requested to remain anonymous for fear of retribution. Oh boy. This is like sounding like another Scientology. It is. As far as like that stuff goes. It took me so long to write because I was like, I have to say this. I have to do this in the right way. I do not want to get like sued. I know. Or like. I'm surprised we didn't get a letter from Scientology already. (laughs) 
<laughs> we were brand new then. Yeah, that's it's like true. Our, what third episode? We may we may get one still. <laughs> uh, the consensus from all ten members that were interviewed was that they were being brainwashed by Robert Chin. They claimed he did so by slowly taking control of every aspect of their lives. They described it as a careful process of isolation, restriction, and intimidation. Many were persuaded to provide access to their personal bank accounts so the church could control their finances. Scientology. Cult, 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 check, check, cult, check. This is another thing that reminds me of Scientology. Their diets were even restricted. Oh, my God. And members were encouraged to lose weight to appear more godly. Um, What the fuck's her name? Gwen Chamblin. Yeah. (laughs) Parishioners were required to wake up at 5 a.m. every weekday to carpool to morning prayer. They often started the prayer with the 1970s hit, We Are a Family, but reworded... (laughs) But reworded to express their devotion to Shekinah Church. Oh my God. That reminds me when Houston and I, my brother and I went on a cruise last year. It was a cruise to the Bahamas and Royal Caribbean has their own like private island that they call Coco Cay. Do you know about (laughs) that? You told me about it. I was like, what the fuck? Well, the morning that we landed there or whatever you call it, dock. (laughs) Landed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They... Woke everybody up at like 8 a.m. with a song, and it was perfect. I don't know if it's called Perfect Day, but it's like, oh, perfect day, perfect day, perfect day. Wait, is it Hoku? Perfect day. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's like, anyway, the rewritten song was, I can't remember the first part of it. It was like, Coco K. (laughs) The perfect, or uh, no. I'm sorry. Oh, loving it. Is that it? it? The real song is not Perfect Day. It, this stupid rewritten song says Perfect Day. It's like, Perfect Day. And then the, in the background, it's like, Coke, okay. Coke, okay. Oh, that's <laughs> loving it. Loving it. Loving it. Loving it. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, we both woke up and we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know what? Cruises would be a good episode. Like, I bet that's like a cult on its own. And I just rubbed my eye and I made guacamole earlier and I'm pretty sure I have jalapeno juice. Oh, God. I think I'm all right. I think think I'm all right. Cruise people? I have a relative that is one of these people. They go on a cruise like almost every month. I've heard that there are cruise Facebook groups. Oh, my God. Where people will like, it'll be like swingers cruise (gasps) Facebook groups where they will like coordinate swinger can you imagine the bodies oh my god and they are not young no or fit that's why i'm saying (laughs) which is not a problem (laughs) it's just you do you but woo boy (laughs) all right tangent over god so after we are a family they would launch into an hour-long ritual in which they spoke in tongues and shouted (sighs) phrases like Money cometh to me now oh my God. while running in place. <laughs> Have you ever been to a church that spoke in tongues? No. It's insane. It's crazy. You like, have? I, yeah, yeah. Why? Because I was invited to one. Also, oh my God, I don't know if I've ever, I'm sure I've told you this before. So there was the church where people spoke in tongues and they just did the normal, like, when you see people that, 
quote unquote speak in tongues like yeah that kind of crap. the spirit is just coming out of there yeah but i also one of my high school friends invited me to his church one time and i went and this shit was creepy was it a snake church it was not a snake church it had a weird nondescript name it was just called the local church is what it was called and the males and females have to sit on opposite ends of the room whoa there's no set leader to the church. There's no pastor, nothing. So it's just like somebody that just gets up and talks or something. But the whole service, every person in that room, the whole time goes, Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Like you're having an orgasm. <laughs> The that. whole time it was so creepy. I gotta go. It, it's that's probably not. It doesn't exist anymore. I would I'm be sure. so scared. No, it exists because <sighs> I'm still friends with that person on Facebook, and they're still into it. But anyway, <laughs> it is weird as oh, fuck. That's the weird, probably the weirdest church experience I ever had. <laughs> wow, it was um, scary. That's wild. Yeah, sorry. I'm derailing you so much. No, it's okay. I enjoy hearing about just <laughs> this nonsense. <laughs> this ritual, which they spoke in tongues, shouting, money cometh to me now, while running in place. <laughs> and while all this was happening, Robert Chin would just sit in the pews behind them watching. What? It was said that the carpets in the church were covered in sweat stains from this morning ritual. Ew, uh... How long did they run in place? Damn. An hour. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. They did all of this because they were promised prosperity on earth and salvation in heaven. Many members were terrified to leave the church for fear that they would go to hell. Shekinah's congregation was predominantly people in their early 20s. And looking back, former members claim that this was a strategic choice. One member who left in 2004 said, quote, he wanted young, moldable minds. Mm -hmm. The congregation was kept small to maintain control. Many members were drawn to the church at a vulnerable point in their life. For example, after a death in the family or a family dispute. Many members were experiencing uncertainty with their immigration status. A member who joined shortly after coming to the U.S. illegally reported, quote, They said, we can protect you. Many claimed that the church instructed them to cut communication with family so they were fully available to serve God, and there were also cases where members were asked to change their names and take on a new identity. God. And this is all according to former members, so. Yeah. In order to exert more control and keep an eye on the members, the church encouraged congregants to move into group homes in the suburbs of L.A., the homes were given names such as the Mighty Girl's House or the Eagle's Nest, where each house was assigned a captain. The captain was responsible for monitoring the members and reporting back to the church. They also were in charge of providing any necessities. Residents were urged to give up their belongings, oftentimes to church leadership. But that's not all they were asked to offer. They were asked to offer 20% of their salaries to the church and at least 10% to Robert Shin himself. 
Oh, God. In the early 2000s, while pastoring at the church, Shin started several businesses, including four real estate and mortgage companies and two flower shops, all largely staffed by his church members. A congregant of the church who worked in one of the flower shops claimed they worked endlessly and were never paid. Many other members of Shekinah came forward saying they too weren't paid for their work and the businesses were used solely to fund the church. But that wasn't the only allegation of illegal activity within Shekinah. Former church members told Insider that Shin used his medical expertise to justify an unusual level of physical intimacy. Oh God. Offering to cure stomach aches or even posture with just a touch. It wasn't uncommon for Shin to invade physical space by rubbing female members' shoulders, and he would greet certain young women with a kiss on the lips. Uh, no, sir. One woman and former member said, quote, he kind of grooms them to be like, I'm a dad, so this is not inappropriate. Uh-huh. In 2007, Shin, who was an avid racquetball player, began asking certain congregants for massages to soothe his sore muscles. One male congregant said that he was often asked due to his strength and claimed that nothing weird ever happened during the massages, but that they often occurred in the back of the flower shop, and at the end of the sessions, he would request him to send in one of the young female congregants for, quote, private time with the man of God. Mm -mm. There was another instance where things took quite a different turn. One woman recounted being called over to Shin's home with another woman for a massage session. The two women were asked to put on blindfolds and meet him in the living room, where he was lying face up on the floor. The woman claimed that Shin encouraged her to take off her bra, and she refused. Once she started to massage him, she realized that he was fully nude. And fully erect. She said at one point, Shin reached out and put his hands on her breasts. Nope. And asked her to massage his, quote, center. No, no. Where he then navigated her hands to his private area. Yeah. <laughs> his center. My center. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. The woman recounts how brainwashed she was, because the entire time she was thinking, how would that be sore? Like, she was so... <laughs> oh, my God. Indoctrinated that That's she... That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Did not even realize what was happening. After the massage ended, Shin told the woman in private to never speak about the experience, not even to the woman who had been in the room with her. (sighs) Catherine Yee was second in command at Shekinah Church and Robert Shin's sister. She was referred to as the, quote, woman of God and was feared in the church due to her short temper. One Saturday in October 2008, Yee requested that the woman who given the blindfolded massage come to her home. When she arrived, she was surprised to see 20 other church members were gathered there. The atmosphere was tense, as it often was when the woman of God called a meeting. Yi and her minions had been calling young women into a small room one by one, and some would emerge in tears. Oh my god. When it was the woman's turn, two women sat her down and asked her the same question they'd asked all the others. Have you ever been inappropriately touched by the pastor? Insider learned that at least five women shared stories that day of inappropriate sexual advances by Robert Shin. As they spoke openly for the first time, these former congregants said 
the women appeared to experience a crisis of faith. Quote, we started sharing stories and our eyes started to open up. The next day at church was a chaotic scene. Yi barged in with her followers and demanded that her brother come down from the pulpit. She confronted him about the sexual misconduct. Meanwhile, half of the congregation surrounded Shin in his defense. What? Shin called the incident, quote, a hostile takeover. And that day, he lost about half of his 70 followers. Of course, he denies all of these allegations. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to take a little break? Sure. All right, guys, we will be back with you with more to the story. One moment, please. Thanks for holding. How can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) We're back. But it didn't stop there. After half of his congregants left, Robert Shin, his sister Catherine Yi, and Shekinah Church were smacked with a lawsuit from a former member. Her name was Lydia Lee, and she had been a loyal member of Shekinah Church from 1996 until the mass exodus in 2008. Lydia alleged that Shin, Yi, and the church exerted undue influence, mind control, coercive persuasion, oppression, and other intimidating tactics to defraud her out of more than $4 million. Oh my God. $4 million? Mm-hmm. She claimed that they took over her email, passwords, and bank accounts in an effort to get her to turn over millions of dollars. Lydia said that Shin used this money to pay for his and his family's living expenses, vacations, entertainment, medical bills, and Shin's girlfriend's law school tuition. Wow. In Lee's lawsuit, she accused Shin of improperly moving church donations he had solicited from her into his corporate entities. Financial records presented in the suit showed a three-day period in which Shin received more than $320,000 in donations from various employees, on top of the salaries he was paying himself. Shekinah denied any improper use of donations. I have another tangent, really quick. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of, did you know that Kanye West has a school, a Christian school? Yeah. Have you heard anything about it? I've not heard much about it. I've been to the website and looked at it. Yes. It's really weird. It's super weird. Like, they only eat sushi, and they're, like, not allowed to have chairs. Oh. And they only have, like, gray... They're only allowed to have, like, gray bowls or something <laughs> and drink water, and they all wear, like, black clothes every day with, like, Yeezys or some crap. Wow. It's yeah. super strange. And there's, like, no wind... No. No windows in the window? No glass in the windows or oh, something? Yeah. Or I've like... heard of that. <sighs> it's super weird. Very bizarre. Anyway. I'd be interested in hearing more about that. I yeah. want to hear from someone's perspective that goes there. Yeah. Or like their parents or something. I don't yeah. know. So Lydia Lee said that at one point, Catherine Yee instructed her to move with her two daughters to a nearby apartment building to be, quote, obedient to God. And then Yi proceeded to move into Lee's nearly $1 million house. Lydia Lee also claimed to have had a similar experience as other women in the church. She reports she was asked to give Shin a massage in July 2008. Quote, Robert told me, target my testicles. (laughs) She said, it was that moment I knew something was really, really wrong. 
It was the moment I woke up from this brainwashing. Yeah, that'll do it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The suit was dismissed in 2011 after a bench trial found no evidence of undue influence. But the judge said that the church had practices that bordered on coercion and that he disapproved of what the defendants did to Lydia Lee. Well, good. Thanks for your disapproval. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. After Catherine Yee, a.k.a. the woman of God, left the church, two young members stepped up to take over the church operations. Their names were Hannah Lee and Shirley Kim. Shirley Kim had joined the church as a teenager and became Shin's girlfriend in 2009. Oh. This was the member who Lydia Lee claims received money from her account to pay for her law school tuition. Mm. Shin would go on to marry Shirley Kim, but the two would end up divorcing in 2011. Actually, I think they just split up in 2011 because I don't think it was an actual legal marriage, but a spiritual marriage. She looks so much younger than him. Oh, this is a different woman now this is his new girlfriend okay this is hannah lee okay i'm getting all these names mixed up yeah it's hard to follow but shortly after he separated from shirley kim he started dating hannah lee which was the other young woman who stepped up to yeah. like, fill the shoes of Catherine Yee. hannah was actually lydia's sister and was said to have joined solely so she could get her sister to leave the church oh, what the fuck? but apparently she got sucked in Hannah Lee and Robert Shin are now married, and Hannah is now the CFO of Shekinah Church. In 2008, Shin tried to break into the entertainment industry. This was something he was very passionate about and believed it was his calling from God. A former member of Shekinah's media team told Insider that Shin often spoke about placing sleeper agents in every industry and infiltrating secular spaces with strong subliminal Christian messaging. On his quest to do so, he founded his own production company called Imaginating Pictures. Imaginating. Terrible name. Horrible. Oh my god. <laughs> Fun fact. His production company created five horrible feature films, one of which was released in 2013 and starred Meghan Markle. Wait, is that Meghan Markle? Yes. She looks weird as fuck in this picture. <laughs> She looks super weird. This movie is on YouTube if you want to watch it. Oh my god, this looks so terrible. It was called Random Encounters. Shin also founded a record label, which he used in an attempt to launch his daughter's music career. Neither of these companies found large-scale success, and in 2021, Robert Shin pursued another venture. He created a talent management company in the L.A. area that he called 7M Films. The company took off in large part due to his son, Isaiah Shin, who was already a prominent member of the dance talk community. Wait, didn't he also go by Isaiah Shin? Israel. Oh, Israel. Okay, that's right. But it's weird because his son's name Isaiah and like Seven Mountain Mandate references an Isaiah verse. Yeah. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. So Isaiah was able to pull in talented young dancers who were looking at a shot at fame. Members of Shekinah Church took on prominent roles in the new company. His wife, Hannah, managed many of the dancers. His son, Isaiah, was the director and choreographer. The associate pastor at Shekinah was the producer at 7M Films. 
Shekinah and 7M were very much so working as one entity, though representatives at 7M Films would deny those allegations. But several sources who used to be close to the dancers or even had experience with 7M claim that 7M requires its clients to participate in regular Bible studies as a prerequisite for representation. In early 2020, Robert Chin purchased a property in the Los Angeles neighborhood of Sunland Tahunga. Excuse me? I don't know. It's like Sunland. Is that a city? Sunland dash Tahunga. It's like T-U-J-U-N-G-A. I have no idea. The 5.62 acre property was sold for $4.4 million and was previously home to a children's school. But Shin had plans to transform the space into the new Shekinah headquarters. The property is now used for activities for Shekinah Church and 7M Films, and the Wilking family even referenced it in their Instagram Live video, saying that they attempted to find Miranda at a school, but couldn't get past the gated entrance. If you search the address for this property, you can find old creepy pictures of the school, which to me looks more like a prison. Yeah. But if you search the address on Google Maps, the it's property blurred. is completely censored from view. Oh my God. And I discovered that on my own. That wasn't anywhere else. Nice. I thought that was so weird. That's really weird. I know you can request to have your address blurred by oh, Google. Okay. So they probably did it themselves, I'm thinking. But it's still like, Sketchy. why are you doing that? Yeah. Scientology doesn't do that. No. The Wilkings claim that the church had no signs or anything out front, and no one would even know that a church was headquartered there. Many dancers represented by 7M Films live together in what is called a hype house. Basically, if you don't know what that is, it's a house that is owned by the production company, and it allows creators to live and collaborate together under one roof. Pretty much just an economical way to keep churning out content for social media. It's not unheard of, but considering the circumstances, it doesn't look good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know, like, some YouTubers do that, too. Yeah. They all live in the same house. Another odd thing people have noticed about 7M Films is that many of their dancers have become married off to one another. For example, Miranda and B-Dash, Tide-Eyes and Miss K.O., and Gordon and Alexandra Watkins. (laughs) These are them. I know. Just it's funny because you're saying these names. I'm like, oh, like, like I don't know. anyone knows who, who they who are. The fuck is that? These are very, very popular TikTok dancers. I'm sure other people know if who they are. I just you don't. were into that sort of thing, you would probably know these names. Yeah. But just saying, these people all got married after joining Seven M. There have been allegations that these marriages are fake and are just a way to get more views. There are also rumors that both B-Dash and Tide-Eyes are still married to other women. What? Others speculate that the marriages are just a way to control the dancers and part of giving them a new life and identity. In 2021, a small group of dancers' parents began communicating about similarities in their children's changing behavior. They banded together to file complaints with California's Attorney General and the IRS, accusing 7M of draining their children's bank accounts without their children's knowledge. Oh, God. Quote, We have knowledge of two dancers who have handed over savings accounts, one of which had $10,000 and the other had $80,000. Oh, my God. 
representatives from 7M claim that 7M dancers had, quote, never handed over their savings or surrendered their bank accounts to 7M or the church, and that the church and 7M had no knowledge of such complaints. One mother in particular noticed a drop-off in communication with her son and said that last spring, he called to ask for the password to a Roth IRA his parents had set up for him when he was a teenager. Mm. The next time they checked the account, it had been cleaned out. Quote, I believe they have full and complete access to all his finances, she told Insider. A YouTuber by the name of Katie Joy has been reporting on 7M for months, posting videos on her channel without a crystal ball, which I've watched her videos before. I think I've referenced her before, and I think Mm -hmm. it was the Gwen Shamblin story. I think so. She has a bad reputation that I just learned about this of kind of sensationalizing stories and kind of like taking an inch and going a mile with details and like presenting them as facts. Katie Joy has been in contact with Miranda's family and trying to help them find answers while spreading awareness of the allegations against Robert Shin, Shekinah Church, and 7M Films. As I said, unfortunately, Katie Joy does like to speculate a lot and can often present theories as fact. Because of that, Katie Joy is now being sued by Robert Shin alleging commercial defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligence, deceptive trade practices, and intentional interference with prospective advantage, and demanded an injunction that would require Joy to make private all of her social media posts about 7M. Miranda and B-Dash have since joined the suit. Katie Joy filed a motion to dismiss and told The Cut that the suit is a frivolous intimidation tactic, but it remains ongoing. Due to Melanie Wilking's huge platform, she has been able to put the spotlight on the serious concerns with Shekinah and 7M. But to some, this feels like deja vu, because this isn't the first time something like this has happened in the dance community. Before 7M and Shekinah Church, there was Street Kingdom and Hospitality Church. Are they related? Mm, there's a connection, but they're not related. Okay. Two members of 7M Films had found themselves in a very similar situation back in the late 2000s. So we're all familiar now with B-Dash at this point. But let's talk about another dancer who goes by Tight Eyes, a.k.a. Caesar Willis. Tight Eyes is known as one of the pioneers of the dance movement called Crump, which took the world by storm in the early what? 2000s. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. You know about you know about Crump, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Crump took the world by storm in the early 2000s. Even Mallory knows about Crump. Um, <laughs> so Crump influenced David LaChapelle, which is like a pretty famous photographer, to create a critically acclaimed documentary on the movement called Rise. This actually did well. You know, it got reviews. Never saw it. Many other films followed during the era, including Stomp the Yard, Bring It On, All or Nothing, oh God. <laughs> and Step Up for Revolution. Suddenly, Crump was everywhere featured in choreography for artists like Missy Elliott, Madonna, and Chris Brown. Just to confirm, you're talking about the dance move. It's a dance style, a dance movement. Oh, okay. It's like a type of dance. Okay, okay. Where they're like... Heard of it, but yeah, I couldn't tell you. Oh my god. (laughs) This wild. Oh, that hurt my neck. Oh my god. I just tried to crump and I'm hurt. (laughs) 
Tight Eyes has always been deeply religious, and he describes Crump as a faith-based art form characterized by free, expressive, exaggerated, and highly energetic movement. Crump is actually an acronym for Kingdom Radically Uplifted Mighty Praise. I never knew that. I never knew that either. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, he was like one of the people who started this movement. Many saw the Crump movement as an alternative path to gang life. In the late 2000s, Tight Eyes created a dance crew called Street Kingdom, where he took dancers under his wing to mentor them. There was a catch, however. According to former members, in order to be a part of the crew, the dancers would have to attend church services at Hospitality Church, a church run by self-proclaimed prophet David Gurley. Gurley, a former college basketball player who had served time for sexual assault before finding God, Good. was very persistent about tithes and offerings. As they, they all are. Yep. I found a really informative article by The Cut that I will be referencing a lot as they interviewed former dance crew members about their experience with Street Kingdom and Hospitality Church. Some friends of Tide Eyes would claim that during Street Kingdom practices, Tide Eyes and David Gurley created an atmosphere that some felt was rigid, prohibitive, and financially exploitative. I just realized his name is Tight Eyes, which I knew because you had it spelled out on the slide, mm-hmm. but I just realized it sounds like you're saying Tide Eyes, too. Uh-huh. It's the same thing, like Tide Eyes. I would say Tide Eyes, but it sounds like Tide Eyes. I just want to clarify oh, for okay. everyone listening. Tight Eyes. Tight Eyes. It's <laughs> yeah. Tight Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> But he has changed it since to tight eyes with, instead of a Z at the end, it's an X, which I don't know how to say that. So Tight Ikes. <laughs> Ikes. Okay. <sighs> Can everyone stop with the letter X? Yeah. Please. Get over it. It's unclear if Tight Eyes was really to blame for any of this, or if he was just under the thumb of Pastor Gurley. Former dance crew members told The Cut, quote, they would do tithes and offerings, the pastor's right-hand man would go into his office, count the money, and he would come back out and tell him the amount. And the pastor would say, okay, this is how much we are missing. They would be like, God said somebody is wanting to give $20, but you're trying to hold on to it. You're going to be cursed. And then the service would literally not go forward until he got that amount. What? Yeah. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, it is weird. I think I've said this on... I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I remember as a kid, I think I was in middle school. Oh, it was the church that we went to that was in trailers only. Oh, yeah. And the pastor came forward on Sunday and was like, I've been stealing from the church and I'm resigning. (laughs) Wow. So crazy. Horrible people, man. Yes. Much like the 7M dancers, Members of Street Kingdom were encouraged to marry other members within Hospitality Church. Both B-Dash and Tight Eyes allegedly had arranged marriages and children from those marriages. Quote, these marriages to non-dancing members of the church were their fallback, one former member told The Cut. They took care of some of the bills between bookings. It's like if you're married, well then, you got somebody that's taking care of you. Most of them had never worked a regular job in their life. For some of them, it's like, dancing is my life. This is the way I'm going to survive. This is all I have. This is all I'm good at, end quote. So basically, they would marry them off to someone in the church 
who was not part of the dance crew so that mm. they could continue dancing and they could still like make a living because they weren't making money dancing. Oh my God. But the most alarming claim was that to be a part of the crew, you had to cut contact with your non-believing friends and family. <gasps> go, 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 go. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> the process of doing so was called dying. Oh, good. That's nice. Quote, the pastor has taken a scripture that talks about how you have to die to the flesh, saying you have to ignore and push away anything that could be a distraction. End quote. Mm. And to David Gurley, that meant anyone who didn't follow the church's teachings or raised an eyebrow at the dancer's newfound religious enthusiasm. The same concept extended into their professional life as well. The dancers were discouraged from taking industry jobs, and instead Gurley would arrange for the street kingdom dancers to put on crump Christ shows at churches all over the West Coast. <laughs> Unfortunately for the dancers, these gigs paid next to nothing. Did they spell Christ with a K in the advertising? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I would not be surprised. But then, in 2011, David Gurley told Street Kingdom that he'd received a message from God. Here we go. God wanted the crew to compete in a dance competition that would change their lives and grow their kingdom of God. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Gurley assured Street Kingdom that they had God in their corner, and with him they would win the competition. And the prize? $100,000. All things are possible through Christ with a K and Gurley. And Crump. And Crump. Ecclesiastes 2-7. The dance competition was MTV's America's Best Dance Crew, season six. You're kidding. Nope. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to play their introduction reel to the show because yes. I think it's going to just give you a little taste. I'm so excited. I'm Mario Lopez and America's Best Dance Crew is back with super new crews and superstar action. Tonight we've seen four crews face off to thumping tracks by hip-hop powerhouse Lil Wayne. Our final crew, Street Kingdom, originated the raw and expressive dance style known as crumpin', born here on the streets of L.A. And now, we're about to flex it for the first time on our stage. We met up with the crumpers in Los Angeles to see how they'd lock in to Lil Wayne. We are Street Kingdom from Los Angeles, and we keep it wild. Self-proclaimed creator of Crump. He is the creator of Crump. I was in the movie Rise. It took Crump up. Crump is a street dance. The movements are very hard, aggressive. Every move we do, you're going to feel it. It's not just wilding out violence. We can dance. I love all my crew members. We all stay in the same apartment complex. We read the Bible, we come to church, we rehearse here, we crump here. This is our house. I came from a horrible past. This is one of my dreams, and I know this is the year of promises. Dancing as a Christian, you're already stereotyped. And me and my crew are coming to set the record straight. We're going to change ABDC forever. Our first challenge on this show is Lil Wayne's song, I'm Not a Human Being. And you can say that about us, because humans can't move like us. Our Lil Wayne challenge, just another opportunity to prove that we're America's best dash crew. 
We're hearing genuine crumpet right here on our ABDC stage to a superstar master mix that I am not a human being by Lil Wayne. Here is Street Kingdom. Crumping for Christ, man. Mm -hmm. Crumping is like not anything. It's kind of scary to me. It's weird. It's like, it's not anything. <laughs> It's just the like only way I can spaz describe it. it. Yeah. I think spazzing out is now a bad thing to say, but it's like. Is it really? I think I've heard. So it. like an ableist Yeah. Term? It's just a muscle spasm. Crumping. Yeah. Right? All right. Okay. A former member of Street Kingdom said the dancers were prohibited from spending time with their family and friends who had come out to the show to support them. Instead, they spent their time between episodes praying. Street Kingdom made it to the top four, but were eliminated on episode seven. The elimination was the beginning of the end for the dancers. They were assured that they were going to win this competition if they followed what David Gurley asked them to do. One member said, quote, we did the Bible studies every episode. We did the prayer and we lost. After that, many Street Kingdom members stopped going to the church. The dancers were warned that they would face consequences for not attending, such as being cursed or removed from the group. Yeah, but the damage dance control, damage yeah. control. <laughs> but the dancers were through and stopped attending services. Marriages fell apart and the tight-knit crew disbanded. After Street Kingdom fell apart, Tight Eyes abandoned Hospitality Church and apologized to his community for being led astray by David Gurley. Gurley has not commented on the situation but has moved on and is now the head of a church called PhD Ministries in Long Beach, California. Wow. There's some cool names. Yeah. Everyone has since moved on until 7M Films was thrust into the spotlight. So basically, that's all I got on 7M. I just want to say an announcement was made in May of 2022 that HBO, along with Rolling Stone, Niall Capello... Chrissy Teigen, and Liza Mandelup would be creating a docu-series examining the controversy with 7M Films. Oh. Well, they're in for a hell of a ride, I guess, since... Well, I guess I won't say that, but... What? I was going to say, because you told me they're very retaliatory. Yeah. Legally. Well, I mean, that announcement was made over a year ago, and nothing's happened, so I don't know, like, I'm wondering if it's like the writer's strike or the pending lawsuits yeah. or something holding the project up. You know what we were also supposed to get a documentary on, which mm. I've not seen yet, is Mother God. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be HBO, I think. And I haven't heard anything about it. Huh. I'll have to look into that. Well, the people who were going to be working on this project are also the people that did the HBO's The Way Down docuseries, which focused on the cult of Gwen Chamberlain Laura. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, you can draw your own conclusions based on all of this information as to what's going on. I have my thoughts. You can have yours. We don't know, but this is what people have said has happened. I still don't know where to land on the Melanie Miranda thing. Me too. I do feel like this is a cult, yeah. but I think oh, yeah. that maybe her family is exaggerating a little bit too. Maybe, maybe she had a falling out with him as well that compounded yeah. all of this. Yeah. I mean, who's to say? 
Yeah. But all this other information from former members and the fact that this has happened before with a few of the members, it doesn't look good. It sure doesn't. <laughs> Looks bad. So I mentioned that I wanted to talk about a little bit more about the Seven Mountain Mandate. So I'm just going to like wrap it up with that. Okay. In the Dark Ages. Oh, we going back that far. <laughs> basically the dark ages are appealing to many in our world today you hear about it all the time yeah people romanticize about a time when good and evil was black and white and the church ruled over everything our culture has since evolved but you'll hear many who demand one world order saying things like religion needs to be the focal point in school or our law should be based on what the bible says etc yeah i mean it's just always been a thing yeah So these types, the ones that are super passionate about this, who will not shut up, they are often referred to as dominionists. And we see a lot of these arguments a lot in U.S. politics. Mm -hmm. That's because this group wants one nation under God, but not just any God. They want it under their specific God. Jesus Christ. Yes. My Lord and Savior. I mean, whatever that means, because like, I don't feel like, Christianity would want that, you know? Oh, the modern church is light years away from yeah. what it it is supposed to be. So once this is achieved, followers of the seven mountain mandate believe Jesus will return in the second coming, initiating the end of days and the prophecies of the book of Revelation. Hell yeah, dude. 666. <laughs> These leaders pushing this agenda are called the new apostles. And their aim is to put Christian lore above secular law in a war between church versus state. Dominionist thinking is becoming mainstream among this minority group. And Seven Mountains is regarded by many as a roadmap to regain control of this country. Ronald Reagan was one of the first political figures to win the, quote, moral majority. And his presidency has been called the, quote, God strategy. The evangelical influence waned under the bushes as they did not follow through with a lot of the strategy that was anticipated from them. Trump, on the other hand, was seen as a new opportunity. Lance Molnow, I spoke about him earlier, has declared Trump has a King Cyrus effect, which is a reference to the ancient Persian King Cyrus who, despite being no friend of Israel, defeated the Babylonians and set that nation free. Cyrus was therefore blessed by God for doing his work. He relates Trump as the king who can set the evangelical Christians and their religion free. Basically, in the Seven Mountain Mandate, they believe the king or the person to lead this change does not have to be a moral person or a good person. I see. They just have to be competent and get the mission done. Yeah. And for that, they will be rewarded by God. Well... And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I won't make this into a political thing, but I have opinions. Lance will now boasts that he had ninja sheep working with activists, politicians, and members of Donald Trump's presidential transition team. Well, now asserts Satan is in control of academia, entertainment, politics, and business. Quote, 
Our real enemies are the ones that are shaping laws, shaping media, and shaping the next generation. What are you talking about? You guys are... This is exactly what I was saying earlier. Yeah. You guys are shaping the law. Yeah. I mean, what are you talking about? (laughs) This... We still, today, have to swear on a Bible in courts. We have to pledge allegiance under God. Under God still. Indivisible. Whatever the fuck. Bro. Just we just, I still have playing the victim. people praying at work like it's it's fine, you know, like whatever. Yeah. But, but like you're c- claiming that we're con- everyone's condemning you for doing that. It's happening. Yeah. And it's no one's everyone's cool. Everyone just like, lets you do it. But <laughs> on this on the other hand, on the other you hand, don't let a fucking Quran. in. yeah. On yeah. the other hand, if someone wanted to take. Ramadan off, they're exactly. gonna have to take their fucking vacation days yeah, to do so. Yeah, yeah. So let's just put it all in the same playing field, guys. Mm-hmm. So to fight them, he's promoting what he calls the 7M Underground, an affiliation of producers, directors, attorneys, politicians, and economists. Quote, we should be moving to the top of these mountains. Christians are called to go into proximity to the gates of hell. That's why they're showing up in government. They should be showing up in journalism. I'm working with believers that I call ninja sheep. Those are believers that are actual believers but have to maintain discretion with their public profile. And what we want to do is we want to reinstall a culture that honors God and that revives again a morality that's essential to the survival of America as a Christian-influenced nation. So the underground is where we meet, and we basically have now mobilized nationwide believers to intercede, pray, and be informed, and then show up at the decisive flashpoints in culture where there can be a presence behind what Trump's assignment is. So it's pretty exciting. Is that not horrifying? That is terrifying. Leaders in positions of power that follow and are working hard to implement the Seven Mountain Mandate are Raphael Cruz, who is a pastor and father of Senator Ted Cruz, Paula White, who is the spiritual advisor to Donald Trump. This picture I did not do that. That was on the internet. I know, but it's hilarious. Oh, God. Andrew Womack, who's an evangelical leader. And then Lauren Boebert, United States House member. Famous for jerking off a man at Beetlejuice, the musical. (laughs) Yes! I heard about the jerking off at a musical, and then I kept seeing pictures of her, like, with Beatles, you said, I was like, what's happening? Like, oh, yeah. I didn't put that two, two, two and two together. <laughs> yeah. And vaping inside. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, you don't hear of Barack Obama no. jerking off well, someone in Beetlejuice vaping? No. Saying they're going to change the she world is, for the better? She is a mess. Have you? Do you know anything about, like, her? She's, like, off the charts crazy. I heard and that she somehow keeps getting elected. She is a super big gun activist yeah. person, and she used to like own a restaurant or something called Shooters. Yeah, and like the reason that she's like so into guns is because she claims someone got into a like fight outside of her restaurant and got killed, but in reality, the fight happened like blocks away and the guy died from a meth overdose but she's like using that as her story like her oh my god uh, you know all of these people have 
a past, as does everyone in the world. Paula White, though, literally was the other woman in someone's marriage. Like, who are these people that's trying to enforce everyone to be so, like, holy? And they're doing this shit. Well, this is what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like I was saying earlier, everyone's saying drag queens are groomers when really in the news you look through who are the groomers who are the people getting arrested for child pornography and all yeah. that stuff pastors of christian churches yeah catholic priests like oh. josh duggar yeah yeah you deny and blame other people so much There's, you're doing something yeah. bad <laughs> i don't know So these leaders have been hard at work pushing their agendas and supporting those who wish to strip women of their reproductive rights, Mm -hmm. ban books from schools, and trying to dismantle marriage equality. We hear about it all the time, but I never knew it was part of something so much larger than just discrimination and hate. This is so much bigger than that. These people believe they are fighting a war to bring on the apocalypse It's not just that they don't agree with gay marriage. They think that they are going to bring on the apocalypse. (laughs) It's crazy. Why is this happening? I don't know. It's weird and creepy. It is really weird and creepy. That's all I got. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it (laughs) so much. Oh, my God. Uh, (sighs) Wow. Isn't that strange? I never knew about the Seven Mountain Mandate. I this is a thing. I have never heard of this in my entire life, which is kind of blowing my mind, honestly. It's the ninja sheep, man. Yeah. Ninja sheep, dude. I can't stop staring at this photo. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paula White and Donald Trump with their heads bowed in prayer, their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Paula is ever so slightly touching Trump on the arm. He's smiling slightly. Just a little bit. And (laughs) then they have a bright blue sky with light rays and clouds. They are just the true king and queen. (sighs) I don't know, guys. I found that very alarming. And it doesn't matter what religion you practice. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you are. Mm -hmm. This is weird. And it's not right. No. Who wants... To take over the, the world. world, dude. And force everyone. This is Handmaid's Tale shit, dude. It is. A thousand percent. I hate politics. I don't care. I hate it. Yeah. I am not religious. Like, I don't care either way. Whatever the hell you are. It's whatever to me. Yeah. But this? Well, it's harmful. This is harmful. And that's where you should draw the line. Yes. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just wanted to make that clear because I I know some people are very sensitive about these things and can take things the wrong way. So I just really wanted to make that clear. Yeah. Anywho, I have lots of sources and I'm wondering if I should put these in the episode notes as well, just as like, this is where the information came from because I am a little bit nervous, but Rolling Stone had a really great article. I got information from The Independent, The New York Post, The Daily Beast, The Cut, Forbes, The Advertiser, and... The Business Insider. I referenced videos from Not the Good Girl, which is how I heard about this whole thing. It's called The Dance Cult and Pastor Accused of Tearing Families Apart. Another video was by Uncle Herman, which I think is my new favorite YouTube <laughs> channel. 
the video is called the course of cult leader targeting TikTok influencers. And all of these videos also use the same sources. I believe I literally dug everywhere for everything. Mm. Yeah. So there you have it. Dang. I'm blown away that I've never heard of this. Now I feel like I'm going to pay attention to the Melanie and Miranda drama. So the thing is, there's going to be a subreddit. This all <laughs> went down I believe last year mm-hmm. in March. And I don't think Melanie has come out and said anything else about it. Oh, it's been that long. Um, and in her bio, she links to Without a Crystal Ball for any updates. She has her own thing going on. But a lot of people, I mean, a lot of the things she says, people can corroborate yeah that's not to say she doesn't sensationalize things and like you know she has her own thing but yeah it's weird i mean i'm thinking that the wilkings are probably like at a point where they just have to be quiet about this mm-hmm. and they're probably maybe they're trying to mend their relationship with miranda i don't know we'll never know i guess but i'm definitely going to be paying attention more to these seven spheres of influence and like patterns like what's going on and who who it, the hell is involved? It made like, me think. It made me think like recently Roe versus Wade like has been like overturned yes. in several places. That's fucking crazy. Uh, that's actually insane. Like I never thought that would happen. And then we have the banning of, you know, critical race theory in schools mm-hmm. happening. Why? Why is that happening? I don't know. I feel like I've got to go down the rabbit hole in this yeah. too. I need to seek them all out and destroy them. (laughs) And it's funny that you should say that because in that book I read, they were saying like, pray for the non-believers, pray that the lost are found. If your prayers don't work, if nothing works, pray to destroy them. What? What I just said was a joke, just FYI. That is actually crazy to say that. And seriously. So they pray for these people to be destroyed. They. Well, you know, I mean, when they trigger the apocalypse, all of the non-believers will be thrown into a lake of fire. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Pool party. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you there. Well, guys, if you like this episode, you know what to do. <laughs> you know what to do. If you didn't, if you have any feedback, please email us. That would be great. Rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com. Yes. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. If you'd like to throw us a couple dollars to better the podcast, you may do so at buymeacoffee.com at S- no <laughs> slash. <laughs> we'll put it in the episode notes. Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. R H H H. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening and for being patient with us. Yeah, we're glad to be back. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to bring you guys next time, but I want to do something good. I'm ready to be obsessed with something again. Yeah. Mm, What can I find? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, that was good. I am so intrigued, and I just, man, oh my God. You know I love shit like this. (laughs) Yeah, I was just blown away. I feel like every episode you bring up something that has to do with Christianity, those are the episodes that I derail you the most. <laughs> I go on tangents. No, well, it's interesting to hear your point of view because you 
we're really in that for a while. Yeah. You still deal with a lot of it too. Born and raised. So, all right, guys, it's past our bedtime. Yeah, I'm so sleepy. All right, guys, bye. See y'all next time. Bye bye.